its numbers. I am your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as we continue to experience major protesting, major chaos, frankly, across the entire United States of America. And this hasn't been helped by parties on, like, mostly one side. We'll just say that for a fact. But people are really hurting out there right now. People are just in pain. I'm in pain, honestly. Watching the news, watching social media over the past few days, it has been frightening to see where this country is going, to see the trends that have been popping up over the last several days. More than anything, though, I'm just really upset with society right now. Um, that it took this long, that it took a response this drastic in order to see tangible change. And as a white male, as somebody who will never in my lifetime have to deal with the problems that currently face black America, I, I hurt for you guys and I want the situation to be better more than anything. It is, it is awful awful right now. There's work that I have to do as a white American, as a white male in this society, work that I will continue to have to do for Denver Stiffs in order to make this right, in order to be the best, most inclusive person that I can be. But I see you. I hear you. This has been awful. There has been a lot going on. And the rush to militarize everything and beat back the mob with physical force and insane racism, it is just horrific. So I don't want to make this entire podcast about the protests that have been going on, but I wanted to start with it up front because it is the most important thing in our society right now. And ignoring it at this point is doing the wrong thing. Sports will eventually come back, and I'm going to eventually talk about them after this segment, but this comes first. Um, I want to see the United States be a better country. I want to see us do the right thing. I think it's going to take a long time before all of these problems are ironed out. Obviously, they're ingrained in so many of the so much of society, so many of the decisions that have been made that despite saying that we have fixed certain things, despite saying that we have, improve things and made things better it's a sham it's it's really really disappointing and i think this week this past week has really put that to light put that to just just shine a light on, on a really ugly situation that i hope can be better but it's going to take a lot of effort it's going to take a lot of effort from everybody and it's not a it's not a simple issue. It's not as simple as getting rid of the president in November. It's not as simple as eradicating a couple of racist cops. There, There's so much more that we can do that I have to do as a, as a site manager for Denver Stiffs that only, that only currently employs one person of color, only currently employs one female. It's, it's a situation that everybody currently deals with from one situation to another. So quick backstory on me. I, For those of you who don't know, I went to University of South Carolina for four years of college. It, it's a much more black 
part of America than Denver, Colorado is, than Colorado in general. I currently live in Highlands Ranch, and it's possibly the whitest part of Colorado that I've ever seen. So, and Republican, but I mean, it's not not one way or the other there. Um, I served as a team manager on the men's basketball team for a season. Uh, I had a good time. I was offered a chance to study under the video coordinator for another year, but I turned it down. I wanted to fully focus on being a writer, on being the best member of Denver Stiffs that I could be, because I saw myself with a future in the writing industry, and that was great. But during my time with the basketball program, a program that featured several black kids, that featured several black coaches, not enough black managers, I will say that, uh, I only experienced one instance of serious racism while I was with that group. And it was when we were playing in Gainesville, Florida against the University of Florida. Uh, very rowdy crowd. Uh, the building was pump, pumped up. Lots of contentious plays. And I heard a racial slur behind me that I won't reiterate on this podcast, but it made me turn around. It made several members of the bench turn around. And it looked like they were really looking to kick this person's ass because it was clear who had uttered the racial slur very quickly. But we had a game to play. There was very little that we could do in that moment. And it was, but it was crazy for me to hear that. That was the first time that I had ever heard a racial slur used in a derogatory way like that. Other than when my friends were saying it while they were just hanging out or, or when there was a rap song playing or that, but that was the only time that was the only time that I had experienced that, which is insane because as a person in South Carolina, you ask any black person in South Carolina, and that's definitely not the one time they've heard it. They hear this on a consistent basis. They hear the racism on a consistent basis and it's disgusting. It was I, I was I was blown away and when talking to some of the teammates on that on that squad, it was relatively common. You don't necessarily hear it that loudly and right behind you during the middle of a game, but it was it was something that was more familiar to them. And I think that kind of racism, when you first hear it as a white person, you start to understand that, oh man, this is a is a little bit worse than what we had previously thought. This is a little bit... Uh, there's there's a lot more to this situation than what you just see on the news. And that's the thing, is that in these private situations all the time, without cameras, I can only imagine what black people, and in some cases my, my best friends in college, what they had to go through on a consistent basis. It was really, really eye-opening at that point, and... I, I, I was just blown away. I'd gone to a very conservative Christian high school and was completely sheltered from that. The only black kids at our, at our school were the ones who were on the sports teams like me. I played football. I played baseball and I had never seen anything happen in those situations, but it was, it was a little bit less contentious in, in Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Um, However, I mean, as a white male, I have very little to fear in a lot of these situations and in my retaliation 
when I when I were to hear something like that, if I were to see something like that now and, and confront somebody for saying something, I wouldn't have a gun pulled on me. I wouldn't have the cops called on me. As a black person in America, that is a constant fear. From my conversations with my team, or not my teammate, but the, the team that I managed for. It was sad. It was, it's, it's always sad to hear. And I don't ever have to deal with that. And so it's, it's always tough in that situation to relate to your neighbor, to relate to people who have to deal with those things. But over this last week, it's very clear that we have to try. Over this last week, it's clear that as a white person, it is now my responsibility to be able to be an ally for black people as they continue to fight for basic human rights, for basic human decency that should have been solved ages ago. This should not be an issue. And yet it is. And yet we continue to see it. And yet we continue to see all of this chaos that is going on. People being arrested left and right for not doing anything other than peacefully protesting. And being racially profiled by the color of their skin. It's really sad. So as a white person, I just want to leave you with three things that we can do. If you are also a white person who is listening to this podcast and wondering what you can do from conversations with black people, from conversations and from other things that black people have said on Twitter and on social media and just trying to do the right thing, here are three things. Use your platform to instill real change. Don't be afraid from shying away from evil when you see it for yourself. And be united with your fellow Americans who are no better or worse than anyone, you, me, anyone that you know. This is basic moral decency. This is basic ethics. And if you can't see it, then click off this podcast, honestly. Like, I want to provide a great sports podcast. I want to continue to do my best to provide awesome content for everybody to share, for everybody to enjoy. But this comes first. This is so much more important than anything I could possibly say for the rest of this pod. Those three things. Use your platform to instill real change. As a white person, you have gravity. You have an ability to continue to instill change and say, hey, look, this is wrong. Let's do something about it. When you see something awful, don't be afraid to call it out. Don't be afraid to say, hey, look, this is awful. That's pretty racist. You probably shouldn't do that. Should be very simple. And number three, be united for your fellow Americans. For white America, black America, Latinos, Asian Americans, doesn't matter. You're no better or no worse than anyone else. Right now, black America is really feeling it. Black America is really struggling because white America doesn't see them as equal. Let's change that. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about Jeremy Grant's free agency and get into some sports discussion. We'll be right back. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. numbers ryan blackburn here talking about the racial protests the police protests over the last week in the first segment please don't skip on that that's an important conversation to have especially as a white person this segment though we're going to get back into some nuggets talk because there was actually a, a tangible piece of nuggets news that came out that for some reason has been since taken down. I wonder if it's in the wake of the chaos that we're currently seeing across the country, but Chris Haynes of Yahoo on his Posted Up podcast, he had Jeremy Grant on as a guest, and they talked about various things. There was a lot of talk about social change. There was some talk about Jeremy's time as his relation to Horace Grant, his relation to all of his brothers and his family, just growing up in black America and growing up as a basketball uh, family. But he also eventually started talking about his free agency. And I just want to read you the quote that was taken from that because it, it was, I think, a pretty telling quote on where Jeremy Grant is at right now with his free agency decision and whether he wants to be back with the Nuggets. So let's read this. I'm definitely not leaning towards picking up the player option, Grant said. Like you said, I feel like I definitely outplayed the $9 million I'm making each, each year right now. But at the same time, I'd love to come to a conclusion or something like that with Denver. It just depends what we discuss and negotiate when the time comes. So that's more or less in line with what I've been saying about Grant. He's a starting caliber power forward. I don't think there's any question about it. His unique skill set. His ability to hit 39, 40% from three, his switchability on the perimeter, all of those things are assets that teams need right now. And while there are certain aspects of his game, he's not an elite scorer by any means. He's definitely not a good rebounder. Uh, He's not a creative facilitator for others. He still fills that role player mold. If you have your stars, if you have guys that you feel comfortable playing through, he's a good guy to surround them with because he can play different roles in those situations. He can either be in the short corner and and be in the dunker spot, and he has the athleticism to play that role. He can be on the perimeter and shoot 40% from three. That's a big deal. He actually has a growing offensive skill set that includes some ball handling moves, that includes some, some handoff situations. He can post up a little bit. Um, he can isolate a little bit. All of those things are important when talking about Grant because he's, he's never going to be a star, but he could be that glue guy, that glue starter that really ties everything together. And I think a lot of teams see that in Grant. I think 
the list of players that make less money than Grant right now in a role similar to his, that's a very short list. And the guys that make less money are mostly on rookie contracts. Um, some guys like Fred Van Vliet, they're in line for a big deal. And Jeremy Grant, though he's not as high profile, I think he could be in line for a similar raise. And it seems like he knows that despite the cap probably going down in the wake of the coronavirus. So some have posited that he may pick up that player option during this tumultuous time. Some have posited that he might opt in so that he can agree to a contract extension with Denver. It's probably as the safest route to get him the most money as possible. Uh, some like me believe he's going to opt out and test his free agency. And there are teams that I definitely think would be interested in Grant. Teams like the Phoenix Suns, the San Antonio Spurs, the Atlanta Hawks, New York Knicks, Detroit Pistons, even the Miami Heat. Now, Miami is the only legitimate playoff contender in that group, but Phoenix actually feels like a pretty good fit. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton is a very similar tandem, I think, to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Not perfect, and there are definitely discrepancies there, but Ayton is kind of the guy that you want rolling all the way to the rim. He's a big body in the middle, going to dominate a lot of the possessions, and is a good rebounder. Grant, if he's on the perimeter, he has the ability to switch with other guys on that team, like Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges. Uh, Devin Booker would defend the worst perimeter player. Uh, Ricky Rubio still there as a point guard. So if they think that they can't get an upgrade at point guard over Ricky Rubio, they might decide they want to go get a power forward. And I think that Grant is a better fit there than Danilo Gallinari. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what whether they decide to really go at it. But Miami's the only legitimate contender that Denver would have to contend against for Grant. Uh, but they want to save money for Giannis in 2021. And that's a pretty big factor because whoever they pay... They're probably not going to pay long-term. They're probably not going to pay significant money more than a one-year deal so that they can leave room to sign Giannis when when he comes up in in 2021, if that's where Giannis decides he wants to go. That's that's ultimately up to Giannis. But Giannis, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo is a pretty great core, and you add in some various role players like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn, and you've got the makings of a championship team. Um, so there is some logic for Miami to not spend money on Grant, uh, but if they decide that they don't feel like they have a good chance for Giannis in that situation, then or maybe Giannis decides he wants to stay with Milwaukee and he signs the Supermax extension in the offseason, then that changes everything. Then Miami may decide they want to go all in with the with the core that they have. So there are teams, and legitimate teams, not necessarily just the bottom feeders like the Knicks and the Pistons and the Hawks, although the Hawks would make some sense for him if they want to get good quick. Um, there are teams there that Denver would have to compete with, that they would have to at least offer a reasonable amount of money for Grant to stay. I have been uh, very uh, vocal in how much I think Grant can help the Nuggets going forward. I think he fits really well 
with Michael Porter Jr., with Nikola Jokic. In between those two is kind of the versatile Swiss Army knife type who can continue to shoot threes, but also is versatile enough to handle the ball in some situations and uh, run some DHOs with Jokic. And maybe he's the screener in a lot of situations and he... He becomes the like he becomes the de facto role man while Nikola Jokic is handling the basketball. So there's a lot of ways that the Nuggets can use Jeremy Grant and his abilities to become one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. Uh, I think that they should be going for that, and I still think that his best years are ahead of him. So Denver could be getting him for his prime years and as as kind of the perfect running mate for what they need. So. If I had to guess at a contract that makes sense for what Grant is going to provide, I would guess four years, $50 million. That's $12.5 million per year. It's a $3.5 million like, increase from his player option total. Uh, it's sizable, and it gives him a lot of guaranteed money in a situation where nothing is really guaranteed over the course of the next 18 months, given the revenue that the Nuggets could be facing. The, the revenue drop, I mean, that, that the Nuggets and the entire NBA could be facing. So if you get squeamish about giving Grant that kind of money, first of all, I don't necessarily blame you. I think there's definitely logic in thinking, okay, hey, maybe maybe you don't want to give that much money to a guy who really struggled to get ingrained in Denver's lineup this year. Well, ask me this. Who do I think fits best at power forward that the Nuggets can get at a reasonable price if it's not Jeremy Grant. That's also short-term and long-term fit. I don't know if there's anybody. I don't know if Denver wants to invest in Paul Millsap for another three or four years. Uh, if they do that and he continues to fall off, then that's kind of a that's kind of a sunk cost at some point. Uh, in terms of other free agent power forwards, Danilo Gallinari doesn't really fit. Uh, Dario Saric doesn't really fit. Serge Ibaka is, is more of a center than a power forward now. Uh, there are lots of other guys that, that fit more as a center than as a power forward. And the Nuggets need a guy who not only can defend power forwards, but also can defend small forwards because Porter's going to struggle defensively. And I think you need somebody with some versatility that can actually guard some of these tough wings really well. And we've seen Grant do that. We've seen him, at least in limited doses, be able to be on the opposing team's best player and not suck. So there's there's a skill in that. There's a, there's a major ability in that. So if Denver could get him at that money, which is basically what they gave Will Barton a couple of seasons ago, I think you should be pretty happy. That would be That would be a great way to lock in a player that I think would really help the Nuggets continue to grow. Both in the short term and long term, because I don't see anybody else that fits as well as him. I don't see a good option. I think you have to take a lot of chances, both in the short and long term, if you go a different direction. I think he's the safest option. So when we come back, going to talk more about the playoff rotations versus different teams concept that I had last week. We'll talk about who I think the Nuggets play against the Clippers, Lakers, and Jazz. We'll be right back.
Okay, revisiting a segment that I did last week that was, I thought it was pretty valuable. I thought it was pretty good. I think it's important to talk about all of these potential teams, all of these potential matchups, because while the Nuggets are currently penciled in to face the Houston Rockets in the Western Conference playoffs, some of the discussion that we're hearing about the playoffs right now is that there's going to be probably 20 or 22 teams. And if there's 22, then that means that there's going to be some regular season games that are going to be played uh, to wrap up the regular season. And Denver seeding, and more importantly, Houston seeding, could really change in that small time frame. If it changes, the Nuggets need to be prepared to face any team. If the Rockets drop in the standings, then Denver could have to face the Oklahoma City Thunder or Dallas Mavericks. Or they could face the Utah Jazz, who I'm going to kick off with the segment here. So I want to talk about the Utah Jazz and who the Nuggets would play in their rotation versus that team. Because I think that's an interesting concept. The Nuggets right now have 10 guys who are in the rotation at least on a every now and again basis. The guys who are in the rotation no matter what are Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Monte Morris, and I'll add Gary Harris into that because I just don't see him. I don't see them going away from him in such a short amount of time. It just does it wouldn't make a lot of sense unless there was a specific matchup that we'll probably get to. Uh, the other guys who are more situational pieces are Tory Craig. Michael Porter Jr., and Mason Plumley. Mason Plumley, of course, is a backup center, and Nikola Jokic plays center. So when you're in a situation where Nikola Jokic has to play a lot of minutes, last year he averaged 40 minutes per game in the playoffs, it just doesn't leave a lot of time for Mason Plumley to play unless they're playing together. And because the Nuggets went out and got Jeremy Grant, it's a lot less likely, it's a lot less necessary for those two to play together. The year before, the Nuggets had Trey Lyles, who they couldn't trust in a playoff series. They had Juancho Hernan Gomez, who they couldn't trust in a playoff series. They got Jeremy Grant this year, and while the numbers haven't exactly borne it out from a st- from an analytical perspective, I think Michael Malone is a lot more comfortable throwing Jeremy Grant out there than he would have been throwing Lyles or Hernan Gomez. So be that as it may, let's talk about Utah specifically. Utah's had a lot of stuff going on, and more than just the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell dynamic that has that really took the NBA by storm for a couple of weeks. Uh, if those guys get it together, which I think that they would by the time the, the playoffs roll around, and they're still going to be without Boyan Bogdanovich, who had a major surgery on whatever he had it on. I think it was a ligament uh, in his wrist or something, and... When you're in that situation, and they he had to make a he had to make a call because he was in the first year of a a four year contract that he signed, so he decided he's going to do his season ending surgery now, despite the fact that the season wasn't guaranteed to be done, so that he could be ready for the start of next season, and that's probably the best course of action for both the Jazz and his career, but it certainly weakens the Jazz in the short term. Because Bogdanovich was averaging 20 points per game on 60 true shooting percentage. He's a really good scorer, very versatile, able to shoot the three ball really well, has a versatile offensive game, could 
play the pick and roll, could play the the spot up game, coming off screens, did a lot of stuff for that team and helping Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell out. Uh, but for the Nuggets, the only four players that I think are guaranteed to play a ton are Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Will Barton. All four of those guys have a major role, and of course Jokic and Murray are the stars, but Gary Harris would be the primary Donovan Mitchell defender, at least at the beginning of the series. If Gary Harris proved that he could guard and harass Donovan Mitchell a lot, then that would be a really good situation for the Nuggets to be in, because I think I trust Gary Harris's shot coming back more than I trust Torrey Craig. Barton is, an, is another guy who's definitely going to play, and while his matchup with Joe Ingles is a little bit tougher, he could also defend Royce O'Neal and be okay. Um, Barton is going to have to be a secondary playmaker while Jamal Murray gets the brunt of the, the... He gets a lot of the attention from the Utah Jazz roster. They'll, they would likely play Royce O'Neal on him, a bigger defender who's more lengthy, lengthy and more physical. So Barton would need to be in a situation where if he's defended by Conley, if he's defended by Donovan Mitchell, if he's defended by Joe Ingles, he has to be a playmaker. He has to be good. If he's not good, then that changes a lot for Denver. Um, But all four of those guys will definitely play. And because Boyan Bogdanovich is out, I think it's less critical for Denver to make a decision between Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant, which of those guys they want to play major minutes at power forward. Because I think the Nuggets have the right personnel to match up with the guards, and with Bogdanovich out, it's a lot less necessary for Grant to be out there for a spacing and perimeter defense perspective. They could go with Millsap and probably be okay. Um, Torrey Craig would obviously get minutes, even if he's not guarding Donovan Mitchell or Mike Conley. He's definitely guarding Jordan Clarkson. And Clarkson's really dangerous. He put up like 37 points against the Nuggets on one night. And he's he's very good. When he gets going, he really gets going, and he could change a game for that Jazz team. So Craig will be massively important. I see the nine-man rotation with possibly Porter getting minutes. He could potentially play against Royce O'Neal and or Georges Niang. Either of those guys, they're not going to be dangerous offensive players. So if Porter isn't getting taken advantage of defensively, then he could provide an impact offensively that makes him a net positive. So that would be good. But I still see the nine-man rotation coming out like this. Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, and Jokic are starting. Morris, Craig, and probably Grant and Plumley would be the first guys off the bench. If the Nuggets are struggling to score, then maybe Porter goes out there and and maybe Plumlee comes off. Maybe the Nuggets decide they don't need a backup center, which I think is probably true. I don't think you need a backup center against the Jazz who play Tony Bradley, Ed Davis. You could defend those guys with Jeremy Grant to be fine, or even Michael Porter Jr., honestly. Um, Only three bench guys would consistently play, Morris, Craig, and Grant, but the other two and Porter and Plumlee would definitely see time. And for the closing lineup, I think Murray, Harris, Barton, Grant, and Jokic are out there. I think that makes the most sense. Lots of offense, good defenders in the right positions to help switch and and do what it takes to put the Nuggets in a good position to keep a lead. Okay, let's move on to the Clippers. Uh, This is going to be interesting because I only have three players who I feel like are going to definitely play a ton. 
and that's Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Jeremy Grant. The wing rotation is so fascinating against the Clippers, just because they have these mismatches on the floor, and they're interchangeable, and they're all 6'8 or so, and with the Clippers, the Nuggets don't really have a ton of guys who are 6'8 and can match up physically with those guys. Porter's actually one of them, though I don't think that he plays. I don't think he's trusted in a situation like that. Harris and Barton have already shown some of their weakness in those situations, and Torrey Craig wasn't much better in the last game against the Clippers where Paul George was just going off. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, was he wasn't going off, but he was getting what he needed to, and the Clippers were getting easy offense pretty much every single time when Kawhi touched the ball. Um, that's a that's a big problem across the board. It's not just a Harrison Barton problem, but that's that's what makes the Clippers such a dangerous team because they they have the versatility and the size and the athleticism and the shooting to be able to match up with any team in the league and make things really difficult. The Nuggets have Jokic, and and that's important, and he would potentially dictate some matchups, but if they play Avisa Zubac against him all the time, then like it's the the advantage isn't that great offensively because he still has to go up against Avisa Zubac and a, his big body consistently, while also having to deal with Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Patrick Beverly, guys of that nature who are really good defenders. And they would be digging in on him and constantly giving him pressure. So the Nuggets are going to be in a really interesting spot. Um, And Paul Millsap is an interesting factor too because I don't really know what his role is defensively if he can't guard Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. And that's not a knock on Paul. He's 35, but those guys are the best of the best. And if that leaves Paul Millsap guarding Marcus Morris the entire game at the three-point line, then... I'm not sure that's the best use of his talent and whether that slows Denver down offensively. I think Millsap may actually be best as the backup five when he's guarding Montrez Harrell. Um, that makes a lot more sense. And although there is some optimism that Mason Plumley could do well, I just I don't see that working in a seven-game series. If you throw Patrick Beverly on Monte Morris, if you throw uh, Montrez Harrell on Mason Plumley. That's, that's a tough situation. So I think that a nine-man rotation emerges pretty quickly. It starts with Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, Jokic, and Morris, Grant, Craig, and Plumley are off the bench. I don't think that Porter plays almost in any circumstance unless it's dire. Uh, but ultimately, I think that Grant moves into the starting lineup for Millsap, and I think maybe even Torrey Craig goes in for Gary Harris to provide just a little bit more size. Then you're starting Murray, Barton, Craig, Grant, Jokic, and you can switch it up a little bit. You can match up a little bit better size-wise and athleticism-wise. And you just got to hope and pray that Murray and Jokic are good enough to carry the offense after that. Um. But yeah, closing lineup is the five that I just described. Murray, Barton, Craig, Grant, Jokic. And it's not exciting. That's not a matchup I'm looking forward to at all. Um, Okay, last one. The Los Angeles Lakers. This is the big bad Giants who I don't think Denver really has a chance against, but it would still be fun to watch them play each other. I really hope that Jokic would just prove that he's better than Anthony Davis, but that's a nut that he hasn't really cracked yet. 
And it might not happen. It might not happen in this abbreviated setting. So I think all five of Denver's starters would all play major minutes. Murray, Jokic, Harris, Barton, Millsap, all of those guys. Even if Harris or Barton doesn't start, and I don't think that they could because one of those guys in that lineup has to guard LeBron, LeBron James because the, the Lakers start two bigs. So Paul Millsap is on Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic is on either JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard. That's a pretty reasonable situation, I would say. But if LeBron James is at the three, you kind of need somebody there size-wise to guard him. And I think Craig and Grant, those guys would spend most of the time there, or at least they would try. Um, But either way, Barton's probably not the answer there. Harris, definitely not the answer there. Just from a size perspective, it's just not going to happen. So... Plumlee will be asked to match up with Dwight Howard off the bench. Morris will have a lot of pressure on him as well, uh, because in those situations, you need to win the minutes when LeBron James isn't on the floor. And Monte Morris has to be big in that situation, just just absolutely gargantuan. That could be a real proving ground for him, but he's going to have to face some pretty good defenders too, whether it's uh, Danny Green or Alex Caruso or Cantavius Caldwell-Pope, Avery Bradley. They have a lot of options as guard defenders, so that can make things really difficult for Monte Morris as he's undersized himself. Um, But in this one, I think there's very little chance that Porter plays as well. Unless the Lakers play Kyle Kuzma, uh, that's the guy who I think Porter would guard. I don't see anybody in their regular rotation that Porter would guard, except for maybe Markeith Morris if he was a veteran getting in. Uh, But are you going to have him guard a big are you going to have, like, like JaVale McGee or, or Dwight Howard? No. Are you going to have him guard Anthony Davis or LeBron James? No. Those are the main guys who are in the front court, and I just don't see the Lakers really expanding that far beyond that, except for maybe Kyle Kuzma off the bench. Um, Kuzma averaged 24.6 minutes this year off the bench, and maybe he continues to play that. Maybe that's something that Denver could really try to expand on. Uh, but I, I still don't see it. I think that he probably gets cut from their rotation or his minutes are downsized because he kind of sucks. So nine-man rotation of Murray, one of Harris or Barton, one of Craig or Grant, Millsap, and Jokic. And that's just a it's a big lineup that probably is going to struggle offensively, but you really got to pray. Like you, you're probably not going to outscore Le- LeBron James, Anthony Davis, or company unless you can mix up their coverages, mix up their their defensive assignments a little bit. Um, off the bench is Morris, the other of Barton or Harris, the other of Grant or, or Grant or Craig, excuse me, and then Plumley off the bench. So closing lineup I would play is Murray, Barton, Grant, Millsap, Jokic, and I don't feel good about it. That's not a lineup I feel great about either. It just doesn't seem like a very consistent way to do this, but maybe that's the way. Maybe if uh, maybe if Anthony Davis plays the five and LeBron plays the four, then Denver can get away with Millsap at the four, and then they play a little bit extra offense on the perimeter. I don't know. That's a tough situation to be in. But if the Lakers are big, if they stay big, then the Nuggets are going to have to upsize, and that's a little bit dangerous because they don't have the personnel to really do that. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. I hope you enjoyed 
uh, make sure to take a listen to the political or not not really political. It's just that's just human decency part of this podcast at the very beginning. Uh, stay safe, be good, help your fellow neighbor, uh, do what you can to do the right thing if at all possible, because it is important to be on the right side of history with this. Basketball will eventually happen, but we can put it on hold until the real issues are taken care of. So that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.